trekking through the book of Job. Uh, we could spend two or three years in Job, but we are not. Uh, there's lots of chapters in Job, but we'll uh, be in chapter 38 tonight. So we're getting close to the end of Job. Uh, we've only been in eight or nine weeks, uh, but we are getting pretty close to the end here. So let's pray before we start, and uh, then we'll jump in and see what God has for us here tonight. Pray with me. God, we bow before you tonight. Uh, God, we declare our love for you because of your love for us, God. And uh, Lord, we're thankful that you've been with us through this time. Uh, God, that you have uh, kept us safe. Lord, that you've watched over us. Uh, God, but that you've used us. Uh, Lord, that you've navigated these moments of our heart. Uh, God, the times where people felt lonely uh, when they were encouraged. God, the time where uh, people felt uh, afraid and God, you comforted. Lord, you've been there in the midst of everything that we've been through and yet you still continue to lead us. God, we thank you for the things that you've done at our church in the midst of this time. Lord, all the changes, God, that you've led and all of the ways that you've uh, directed, uh, God, for you to be glorified more, for more people to be uh, reached with your gospel. And uh, so, Lord, tonight we gather again, God, in obedience to your word, in celebration of your word, and in, in, and in anticipation, God, of your word tonight, of what you'll say to us. Lord, we thank you for the example of Job. And uh, God, Job went through a very difficult time. And tonight, Lord, I pray that you would just allow us to hear what you'd have for us to hear. God, help us to be open to what your scripture teaches. Holy Spirit, we pray uh, that you would take these words, God, that they would not be my words, that they would be your words, and that you would massage these into our heart, Lord, that we would know, uh, God, the truth, and God, that we would be transformed because of it. God, we love you. We are excited about what you've got for us tonight, so we pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, again are in Job, and so I've got... I've got the uh, scriptures there on Job. If you'd like to turn in your Bible, you can. We will be in Job 38, and so we'll spend uh, the majority of our time in Job 38 tonight. And so as we've gotten through the book of Job, you'll notice that uh, there's a lot of continuity with what takes place in Job. Uh, we've started out, of course, the beginning of Job, and there's a conversation between uh, God the Father... <coughs> Excuse me, and and Satan. Satan shows up and says, "Hey, listen, I've noticed Job, and uh, I'd like to rattle him." And God set parameters around how that would happen. <clears throat> and so, as that took place, uh, we know the rest of the story. And so, uh, there's conversations in Job two, and then we see in Job two and three all this stuff begins to take place in Job's life. And then in chapters 4 through 38, we see the conversations that take place. Job talks some. Job's friends talk a lot. And so there's lots of conversations. So Job gets advice. Some of it you know, could be good. Some of it's pretty terrible. Uh, and then uh, there's questions that begin to arise. And so Job begins to ask questions. And so what happens is, the same for you and me, is that we have a calamity or we have an experience in our life that's unfavorable. And everybody has their opinion about that. You know, when I'm in a difficult spot, when I'm in the valley, I don't need anybody to give me their opinion. So, uh, you know, note to self. If Matt's in a tough spot, I don't need advice. I need comfort, okay? Same thing for you. We all need that. Is that we don't need someone to come in and tell us all the things that we've done wrong. We need someone to come in. And, and you know, at the beginning of, uh, you know, towards the earlier part of Job, you see that they sat in silence for quite a while and they... They were there with Job. You know, the ministry of presence a lot of times is more than anything you could say. And so Job finally gets through all of this and he gets towards the end. And then Job begins to say, just like you and I, when we go through these tough times, he begins to ask the question, why me? Why is this happening to me? And he begins to recount all of the things that he's done for God. It's the exact same thing that people do today. Is that tough times show up in our life and we have difficulty with those things. And so we ask the question, you know, first of all, we batten down the hatches and we figure out, all right, am I going to survive this? Am I going to make it? And then once we realize, okay, this is not going to be the end for me. I'm going to make it through this. Then we start to realize, well, how am I going to make it through this? 
And so then we start to figure that out. And so Job from chapter 4 to 38 begins to figure out, okay, I can't count on you, I can't count on you, I can't count on you. And in uh, 28 and a couple of other spots, you see uh, where Job begins to cry out to God and he, he talks about the presence of God being there. And Job comes to the realization, as all of us do in those moments, to where he realizes that it is only God who can do anything to solve his problem. And so he begins to basically... Uh, have court. He was the judge and the jury and the defense lawyer and the prosecutor all at the same time. And so Job begins to tell his story and his defense of all the reasons why it should not have happened to him. Well, I've done this and this has happened. And so he begins to recount all of the things in his life or all the reasons why it shouldn't have happened. You know, I would imagine it's not in there, but I would imagine that there's some point to where Job was probably thinking, why not these guys? Look at all that they've said. These goons over here that are talking about me, couldn't you have done some of those bad things to them? But see, what Job doesn't know is that he doesn't think God's in control anymore. So he doesn't know that that whole conversation took place in Job chapter 1 between God and Satan. He doesn't know that that took place. He wasn't privy to that. He doesn't know the words that were spoken. He doesn't know the, the uh, parameters that God set. And so... Here we hear all of this stuff that is said by Job and the desires that Job has to hear from God. It's the, thing, the one thing that he wants the most. It's the exact same thing that you and I want the most, both in good times and in bad. I remember having a conversation about God speaking, and you know the comment was made, I wish God would just show up and speak to me. And in theory, we all want that, right? We would all agree that that sounds amazing. But the reality of that is God is so magnificent that Moses had to turn his back and Elijah couldn't look because of the magnificence of God, right? And so if God actually appeared to you or to me, not an angel, which in and of itself would rattle us to the core, if God Himself did that, we would die on the spot. We would. So Job thought, God, if you would just show up and speak to me, then all of this would be solved. And so it's the moment that Job has been longing for. It's the moment that we as the reader of Job thousands and thousands of years later have expected almost from the very beginning. We hear the conversation, we read it in Job 1. And what our hearts yearn for is in Job 2 or 3 or 4, maybe even as late as 5, that God shows up and He whispers in Job's ear, it's going to be okay. I got this. But God doesn't say that. And then we get to 38. You see, this thing of hearing from God, God speaking to Job, the thing that Job desired the most, it is exactly what he most passionately desired, and yet it is what he feared most deeply. It is what he feared most deeply. That God would show up. What would he say? What would he say? So put yourself in Job's shoes. This is Job's the first book written in the Bible. God shows up and he speaks to Job. Now we don't have the exact details. Did God show up in, in you know, substance form to where uh, Job could see him? I don't know. Uh, did God speak as He does later on in Scripture like He did to Elijah or to Moses or to David? How did He do that? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. What we know about God, what we've come to understand about God as humanity is that God typically doesn't show up in form, right? He came in the form of a man for redemption, but as far as God communicating His voice, He doesn't show up in bodily form. So, if Matt had to guess, Matt would say that he probably spoke just like he speaks to you and I today. And so Job hears from God. God speaks directly. God speaks personally to Job himself. And I want you to notice how it comes through. Notice how it comes through. Look here in Job chapter 38. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Now, if you and I were writing the script, we would not write that. 
Right? Because our expectation would be that God would come in and He would say, Joe, buddy, man, it's me, God. Man, I am so sorry. All the, you know, like we would come through all these ways that we would imagine that God would speak to Him or all the things that we wish God would say. And that's where it becomes... See, when we want God to speak, ultimately, and when we become so desirous of God doing something in our life, a lot of times it is for selfish reasons. God, if you would just show up right now, well, it's because we want an answer. And it's based on our timing and our expectations. So Job's the same way. And so God comes in and totally blows his mind with the very first thing that he said. God said, hey, don't forget who you're talking to here. He says, where were you, verse 4, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory? I know this is going to sound totally ridiculous to you, but if you study the book of Job and you study creation, specifically Job 38, they believed that, uh, that the earth was held up by giant elephants and turtles. That was their belief. And, and so Job had this, this forward-thinking understanding that, you know, no, actually the cosmos are suspended because God put them there. But in, in you know, their limited understanding at the time, that was what they thought as elephants were holding the earth. And so God says, hey, look, where were you? But I want you to notice at the very beginning of Job 38, how we see God speak. This is what it says. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. The whirlwind. God speaks directly to Job in the midst of the whirlwind. Or fast forward to 2020. I saw a, a meme uh, which is completely hilarious. It's a, it's a picture of a person bending down like this and they're looking out the window and it says, I wonder what chapter of Revelation we're doing today. That is hilarious. Uh, somebody else said, uh, you know, with the hurricane model coming up through here, and they said, uh, what level of Jumanji are we on, and what do you have to do to pass this level? I mean, could, I mean, it's killer hornets, and I mean, corona, and hurricanes. What's next? I'm riots. I mean, are you serious? So it's, it's almost as if we could pick you know, a la carte here. God speaks directly to us in the midst of the coronavirus, in the midst of rioting, in the midst of, you know, squirrels with ammunition or something. Well, I mean, what's next? You know, I, I don't know. This is unbelievable. And yet, that's how God spoke to Job. It wasn't, listen, Job wasn't sitting high on a mountaintop, sipping sweet tea and reminiscing about the days gone before. That's how we... we so often in our world today, people picture God as this Gandalf grandfather that has a long white beard and carries a cane and just kind of lumbers around and shows up conveniently. That is not the God that you serve. That is not the God that I serve. That is not the God of the universe. And so God is not speaking to Job here when it's convenient for Job. God is not speaking to Job uh, out of comfort God speaks directly to Job in the midst of the whirlwind. Now, this is not on your handout, but this might be something you want to write down. That God doesn't speak to us when things are going good. It is often that we're most in tune with what God is doing when things are going bad. And you can word that ever how you want. Right? Can, can I get an amen? Is that not how it works? Amen. That is exactly what happens in my life and it's what happens in your life is that when you're in a tough time, you better perk your ears up. Because that's when God communicates. And God communicates to Job here and He says, look, He's speaking directly in the whirlwind. So here's Job. Evil is surrounding him. The enemy, unbeknownst to Job, has Job by the throat. And in a monologue of self-righteousness, evil is coming in for the kill. Because it doesn't seem like it. But this is the death nail for Job. He's been through all this other stuff. I mean, you know, we could recount all the calamities that took place in his life, 
But self-righteousness begins to take root in his life. And, and this is where God... Now again, at any, at any point in chapters 4-38, through 38, God could have easily slipped into the scene and said, hey, I'm here and here's what I want to say. And we would, as the reader, we would say, that makes sense. I'm really glad he stepped in there. But it's not until Job becomes self-righteous that God begins to speak to him. And it's for this reason... In, in, especially in the midst of difficulty, that we begin to look around and we begin to justify our own actions when given the chance. Well, it wasn't my fault. Well, you know, look how bad their life is. And I'm doing better than they are. I mean, we all do it. And we, we begin to justify our own actions. And so Job here in a hurricane... In this storm, out of this comes the voice of God. And so Job hears from God. Remember, the one thing that he passionately desired and the one thing that he most definitely feared was exactly what he got. In the midst of a whirlwind, God spoke. Why now? Why now? Why, why at this point... In the narrative, do we hear from God that, that Job hears from God? Why after all that the devil has done? Right, don't you feel that way? I mean, we turned the news on a couple nights ago and it was maybe a week or so when all this rioting started taking place. And I'm like, what? What? What is going? What happened? It just can't, it like, it just can't, it keeps just tumbling downhill and downhill and downhill on every station. Well, L.A. and Seattle and New Orleans and Atlanta and, and on and on and on and on and on. All of these things. And I'm not talking about protesting. I'm talking about damaging property and, and so on and so forth. And all the things that, you know, you look at the coronavirus and, you know, this person's blaming this person, this country's blaming this country, and all this stuff that's happening. And we look around and we say, what, what happened? How did we get to this point? We see all of the uh, unjust things that happen today. And we, just like Job, say, why now? God, are, are you going to show up? Couldn't you have come earlier? Couldn't you have prevented some of this from taking place? Why allow all of this evil to come upon Job? I mean, have you not asked that question in our world today? Have you not asked that question in your own life? I mean, that is a very prevalent question today is why? Why is all of this taking place? What is, what is God doing? These are all questions we've asked at some point or another in our lives. Why does it seem that evil prevails? Why do bad things continue to happen? So here's, the, here's what the world would say. Well, if God has the power to prevent evil and He desires to prevent evil, we would all agree with that so far, then why does He still allow evil? There's only front and back tonight because we're going to think. We're not going to write. Right? So why? So it's important for our conversation tonight to define what evil is. Okay? So I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud uh, because it is a trick question. But does cold exist? So if you answer, you're on your own. Does cold exist? Well, the answer, most likely from everyone in the room, we would all say, sure it does. Especially if you go further north. You know, if you go to Alaska or Antarctica. Of course cold exists. Well, does it? Cold does not exist in actuality. Cold is the absence of heat. Darkness. Darkness doesn't exist. Right? Darkness is the absence of light. So if cold is the absence of heat, and darkness is the absence of light, well then, what is evil? Well, evil is the absence of good. Because remember... God's the creator of all things. Amen, right? God created everything. Seven days creation. I believe God, six days created, seventh day rested. And everything on every day that He created, what did He say at the end? It is good. Because 
Either you believe that God is all-powerful and all-knowing and the supreme ruler of the universe, or you don't. And if you believe that He is all of those things, then He created everything. And so I know where your mind's going, and we're going to get there in a second. But if evil is the absence of good, or better, evil is the absence of God, God didn't have to create evil. Evil was not created. Rather, evil is simply the absence of good. So if evil, you see, a lot of times uh, people personify evil. The devil made me do it. Uh, you know, now, now, certainly there's a devil. And I'm not saying that. I'm saying evil. And so, if evil were a being, well, then the problem of evil would be something that we wouldn't be able to solve because God didn't make evil. And that, therefore, someone else created evil and God's not the creator of the universe. So, that can't be true. So, evil is not a thing. Things are not evil in and of themselves. You know, there's debates today with uh, weapons and different things and saying, hey, well, you know, they're evil. Well, they're only evil when they're used in an evil manner, right? I mean, it's anything's that way. You can lay an axe on a table. It's not going to do anything in and of its own. You can use it for nefarious purposes or you can use it for good. You can use it for firewood to cut a tree down. I mean, there's lots of good that you can use. So in other words, evil is where good should be but is not. Evil is where good should be, but it is not. You see, even the devil in his creation as an angel was good. He was good. So, you know, if we're doing the chapter of Revelation today uh, where Satan fell from the stars, uh, from heaven, and uh, the Bible says that his tail took a third of the stars with him, this is where evil started. It was where the absence of good began to reside in Lucifer's heart. And so he was created as an angel. You can read in, in the prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel, you read about uh, Lucifer and the Bible says that he was the most beautiful angel. And so he was created to be good. And yet, he was a good thing that went bad. And so the evil that exists from the enemy, from the devil, is something that could have been good, that was created to be good, and yet it turned bad. The absence of good began to exist. One of the things you hear in the world today is this, uh, this equal of good versus evil, right? And that there's good forces and there's evil forces and that there's this balance. And, and that the, the cosmos, as they say it, uh, that they balance each other out. And so that if there's bad, if we do more good, then it'll overweight the scales. And so the way that we overcome evil is that we do more good. And so there's this balancing act uh, according to this view, it's really likened to dualism if you've ever studied any of that. But there's this perpetual balance between the forces of good and evil. And then they assign uh, leaders to that in some cases. They imply that there's these opposite or opposing beings where God and Satan are deadlocked in this struggle for control and for power. Hence, some beliefs are that good and evil balance each other out I don't know if it's on your handout. Some, that, that good and evil balance each other out, and that is known as karma, right? My name is Earl. Remember that TV show NBC had years ago, and he went through this long list of all of these things that he had to do to set karma right because all these bad things had happened to him. And so if he would go out and do all these good things, then he could offset the negative effects of karma in his life. And, I mean, it, it, you see it everywhere in the world. People believe that if you do a bad thing, that if you, if you do something bad, that karma will catch up to you. Because why? Because they believe there's this balancing act that takes place. Well, FYI world, there is no opposing forces here. God is not in opposition of the enemy. He has no competition. All right, at the end of, if we are going to talk about Revelation, at the end of the Revelation, there is a second death, Revelation chapter 20 and 21. And the Bible says that the devil and his minions are cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. I mean, we can talk about the millennium, which I am greatly looking forward to. 
We can talk about that. We can talk about the second coming of Jesus that will, I believe, precede the millennium. Okay? We can talk about all that. But it doesn't mean anything in relation to the fact that God is in opposition of the enemy. The enemy is a creation of God. The creation can never trump the creator. And that's who God is. And so we look around in our world today and we see evil, which is the absence of good. And so for us, we look at that and we say, okay, well, look, I know evil is in the world today, but my Bible teaches me, 1 John 4, 4, that greater is He who's in me than He who's in the world today, and that I wasn't created for this world, and that 1 Peter says, I'm just a pilgrim, I'm just passing through, this is not my home, uh, FEMA Cottage, remember we just talked about that? This is not my home, and so what God is doing in me is that He's bringing good to the places where there's absence of evil, or absence of good, which of course is evil. And so God is using me to do that. So what some people would say is, well, God could force us to do what's right. Say, well, there's so much evil out there. Well, why doesn't God just force us to to do the right thing? Well, that's a great question. So why in the world would God not force us to do the right thing? Well... How how does it work out on TV shows when they you know they got all these shows um, you know twenty four hour bride or something where they meet their spouse at the altar? What's the success ratio of that? Right? Or you know ABC's different shows, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and all these shows that you know glorify sin. And they say, well, look, we're going to force you into this marriage. How does that work? No, you're going to love me. That doesn't work very well, does it? Look, God didn't create us. He could have easily done it. And we would have never known the difference. But God could have created us as robots and said, I created you. You will serve me. You will love me. You're on a string. But He didn't do that. That's not how He created you. And that's not how He created me. And that's why this wouldn't work. Because if God forced us to do that, it wouldn't be love. It'd be slavery. Right? Well, number two, well, what if... What if we say, well, God could have just stopped evil before it happens? That sounds like a great idea. God could just stop it. So He sees, He knows everything, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything's going to happen. And so He sees the, the trend of evil starting to slip up. Or in other words, He sees, okay, I know this is about to happen. I know, uh, you know Paul's about to do this bad thing or Tony's about to do this or Matt, you know, this bad thing, Matt's about to do something bad, so I'm going to stop it and evil won't take place. And then all the murder and all these terrible things wouldn't take place and we would say, hooray, that is amazing. But we actually end up back at number one if we follow number two. Well, how do we do that? Well, where does the line start? So we say, man, it'd be amazing if God stopped all the murders and all the rape and all the terrible abortion, all the terrible things that happen in our world today. We would all agree with that. But then, so then what would happen, just like Job in self-justification, there would be a sin in your life and in my life, and it would begin to take root. So let's take, uh, let's take rape, for instance, and, which is a, a heinous crime. And so it would have to start at pornography, right? God would have to say, there can be no ill intent in anyone's mind. And so it would have to start at the thought process. Or how about murder? We say, well, God, what if you stopped every murder? Well, the Bible says if you have hate in your heart, Jesus said, towards another person, you've already committed murder already. So where's the line? Well, here's the line. It's right here. We're back to perfect robots. Because see, what we'll begin to do if we say, God, you stop evil, what we're really saying is, God, what I want you to do is stop all the bad, bad, bad things, but I still want to enjoy those little, small, bad things. That's not what we really want. That's not what God wants. Does God want a world free of evil? Absolutely. Will there be a day? Absolutely. And I can't wait. But it's going to be full of people who chose that. It's going to be people who chose Jesus. It's going to be people who chose obedience. It's going to be people who chose to love Jesus because Jesus first loved us. It's not going to be because He forced them to do that. There will be no one in heaven who was made to go. No one. 
And so God reminds Job as he continues in 38, he says, Job, who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and uh, thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far you shall come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed. So Job is, is listening to God. God is beginning to talk to him about what God did and where God set the limits of the world. He shut the sea in with the doors. Have you ever thought about that? That the sea has a defined parameter? You know, like Highway 90, Biloxi, man-made uh, beach. But there's still a line there. Even as much as the hurricane may come in, it may come in two or three or five blocks, but then it goes back. And there's all these defined parameters, and you can study creation, and you can study the Big Bang Theory and all that stuff, and, and you can see how they think, you know, the continents shifted, and all. I mean, you can study all that stuff. But here's the end result, is that they're not moving. That there's these parameters that God set. That the atmosphere has a certain uh, altitude that you and I can't exist in. Right? They just launched a couple people into space. They didn't take a hot air balloon. Right? They took a spaceship. And so there's all these defined parameters that take place that God has set. And so I think that as we talk about this, I want you to leave encouraged tonight. And so I want you to know that first of all, evil has a limit. That it may seem like evil is winning, but trust me, evil is not winning. There's always, 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 even with Job, there has always been a line in the sand to where God says, no farther than here. No farther than here. There's always a line. You see in verse 11, look what he says in verse 11. He says, Thus God said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. Here shall your proud waves be stayed. There's a limit. There's a limit. L listen, if evil was unconstrained, we would cease to exist. Because the Bible says in John 10 that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I don't know everybody's age in the room, but you wouldn't have made it as far as you've made it if it weren't for God. Think of all the stupid things that you and I have done in our life. Think of all of the, of the ways that we have tried to self-destruct ourselves. And yet, we're still here. And yet, God is still working in your life, and God is still working in my life, and God is still desiring to use us. Because why? Because there is a limit to the evil that can take place. Now, now I, I am not dismissive of bad things happening in people's lives. I know there's some people in this room that have been through the gauntlet of things. And so you've had tougher times with evil than other people have in the room. I understand that. I don't know why that happens, why one person experiences more than the other, but I do know this. I know there's a line. There's a line that God set. You see... This line that God sets we see in, in chapter 38, it's not just for the oceans. What God is telling Job is, Job, you may feel like everything is a game for you. That the enemy can do absolutely anything to destroy your life. But Job, I want you to know that if that were true, you would be dead. You would be dead. And so he's explaining to Job, the fact that there is a limit. Not only is there a limit, but there's also a place. Now we struggle. Our hearts struggle with this. It was hard for me to put this in here. That there is a place for evil in created order. That's hard to think about. Because we want everything to be roses and daisies, right? And especially in the church. Did you know, did you know that churches are full of imperfect people? Did you know that? I've always been told that church would be amazing if there were no people in it. Well, we but tried that for the last yeah, <laughs> for eight weeks we preached to nobody and no one fell asleep. No one fell asleep. I mean, it was amazing. No disruption. I mean, so yeah. So think about that. Think about it. Here we are 
imperfect people, yet God continues to use us. And guess what? Just like Joseph in Genesis 50-20, Joseph began to see things the way that God sees things. And he tells his family, look, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so there's a place, because think about it. Think about the bad things that have happened in your life. I'd be willing to bet, because I've heard testimony after testimony, of how bad things cause good things. I know in my life that there's, there's things that happen, and in the moment I looked at those and I thought, man, why did this happen? I wish this didn't happen. And then years later I look back and I say, I am so glad that happened. Now in the middle of it, I hated it. I'm just being honest with you. But I look back on that and I say, okay, okay. So the evil that I experienced, God used it. You see, there's a place for that because God uses everything. Romans 8, 28, right? God uses all things for His purposes. And so what God does is when you and I mess up and we make mistakes, God looks at us and says, I can fix that. When people do things to us that shouldn't be done, God looks at the situation and says, I can fix that. When the enemy goes out and he tries to destroy Job's life or he tries to destroy your life, God looks at the situation and he says, all right, there's the line because I can fix that. He can fix anything. There's nothing that is too far broken for God because He uses evil that the enemy thinks that He's using for our good. And so when we find ourselves at the short end of the stick, when somebody does an injustice to us or bad things happen in our life and we don't understand it, the hope that we have, as Pastor Tony preached about Sunday morning, is that we can look and say, look, I don't know what's happening right now and I have no idea why it's happening, but I know that I serve a God that loves me and if it's His choice for it to happen, I'm going to persevere because when I look back, it's going to be used for good. Is that easy to say? Of course not. It sounds great on paper, but in the middle of that, it is very difficult. I've shared our struggle many times. And, you know, as we were going through our struggle, you know, several years ago, I remember in the midst of that moment, I remember praying the Mercy Me song, Jesus, please do not let this go in vain. Please do not let this go in vain. Please use this in my life. If you've seen the new Jeremy Count movie, I still believe. Uh, if you don't like sad movies, you probably shouldn't watch it. Uh, but it's a great movie. And, you know, that was her prayer. That if one person was affected by the stomach cancer that she went through, that it'd be worth it. And it is. It has. I mean, that's why they made the movie about it. And so the, the evil that takes place in our life, we have to see it from the lens that this is not to my demise. This is not, there's no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. Right? Amen? And so we have to approach the situation and say, look, evil, you don't have anything on me, man. You can come at me, you can throw whatever you want at me, but there is a limit. It's just like a bulldog on a chain. I can walk around your yard all day long and your dog is not going to get me if he's on a chain. And it's the same way for the enemy. That he may think that he can bark at you and he can yell at you and may cause you to take off running, but there is a line. And God is the one who set that line. He shut him in. The language is used here. But I want you to notice that it's not just shut in. That the waters, he says here, that you shall come no farther. He says in verse 8, who shut in the sea with its doors. Guess what God could have done? He could have said, listen, I don't want people to drown, so I'm going to dry the sea up. That would have been amazing. A couple, uh, several years ago we lived in Laurel. There was a guy riding, a kid riding a four-wheeler. We knew him well. Uh, you know, lived in the country. And, uh, you know, the community all of a sudden, like you could... You know, you could hear sirens and you could hear uh, people kind of getting, you know, just restless and four-wheelers going everywhere. And so we hopped on the four-wheeler and rode down the road. And uh, 
Chase had, uh, he had gone fishing with his buddy. And he had gotten in a boat and went out into a small pond. And uh, they got in the middle of the pond. And he had, he was a country boy, he had blue jeans, his you know, farm boots on. And they're fishing. And uh, somehow they got out of the boat. Well, Chase got out of the boat to help his friend. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't come back up. I've swam across that pond before. And he didn't come back up. And so we get there, and Grandpa's there, and uh, his grandpa, Mr. Howard, is there, and he's out in the water uh, with, the, with the pole. He's in, a, in a, um, a boat, and he's got a cane pole, and he's sticking it down trying to find – No, the police aren't there yet. The ambulance, nobody's there. The dive team ended up showing up. Nobody – why is – can we just not drain this? Right? Could God have said, look, you know, I know one day Chase is going to drown in this pond, so I'm just not going to make any water. That's not what God did. He said, here's the parameters, but I'm going to use evil. I'm going to use what the enemy uses for evil for good. And so guess what happened, right? Guess what happened? He, he, he loses his life. And we look at that and we say, why is there water? Well, it's because God, He's putting limits on these things. He's shutting it in, but He doesn't dry it up because He's using for other purposes. You go to Brazil and then there's no clean drinking water, right? There's, there's so many dichotomies to all of this that takes place that we don't understand. But yet God does and He's using all of this to say, I can take all of these bad things that may turn out for evil and I can make them good things. So who will know the life that was affected by chance drowning? No one knows that, right? You see, in some strange and wonderful way, even disorder has a place in God's order. Even disorder has a place in God's order. And so, there is a, there's a place for evil in this world, but its place is strictly within the limits of what God says. So he goes on in verse 12, he says, Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked to be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. So, so God's continuing here to talk to Job he, he not only talks about the ocean, he talks about uh, the morning, he talks about the earth, he talks about clay, he talks about the wicked and their light being withheld. All of which is a way of saying that every time that the sun rises, it's evidence that there is judgment to come. Why is that? Because darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of good. And so every sunrise that we see is a reminder to us that there's judgment coming. That good always prevails. That God is in absolute control because when the sun rises, it dissolves all the darkness and everything is brought to light. And evil resides in darkness. Evil is represented by darkness. And yet, God is light. That's what the Bible says. And so as God is light, every morning that we get to see a sunrise, we are reminded that not only is God in control, but that there will come a day when darkness is judged because light pushes away darkness. You see, every time the light is switched on in creation, it reassures us that darkness will not last forever. So tonight, if you go to sleep... And you watch the news. Wake up in the morning. Open the window. And be reminded the sun rose. Right? So what are our takeaways? I'm going to give you just a couple encouraging things to take away. And be reminded of as we wrap up tonight. So number one. God's plans cannot be stopped. God's plans cannot be stopped. Which would be a really good place for you to say amen. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but God has a plan for your life or you wouldn't be breathing. And that plan will not be stopped. 
There's absolutely no one, there's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. There's no uh, plan of the enemy that's going to take place that will mess you up. Nothing will stop you from becoming who God created you to be. Nothing. God's plans cannot be stopped. And so what that ought to cause you and I to do, to have the faith and the confidence in what God has called us to do, that we'd be willing to charge hell with a water pistol, right? That we ought to be able to stand up to the evil that takes place in our world, not with our own opinions. Listen, nobody needs to know what you think. We don't need any more Facebook posts about here's my opinion about what's going on in the world today. No one needs to know that. What the world needs to know is absolute truth. And John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. This is what the world needs is a dose of reality. This is what the world needs is a dose of truth. And so, what? listen, there. this will be recorded, so <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Alright? That's what the world needs. They need to know what truth is. They need to know. Jesus said they'll know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. And so that's what we ought to do. We ought to permeate the, the worldview that's taking place today with love. That we love one another. That we serve one another. There, there are no governmental decrees in the history of the church that have ever stopped the church from being the church. And it never will. It doesn't matter what laws are created or what declarations are made. God is on the throne. And God says, I will build my church. I will build my... That's what Jesus said. He doesn't need me. I just get to be a part of it. He doesn't need you. You just get to be a part of it. But it will happen. You can mark it down. That when the lights are turned out, when all is said and done, it will not be a politician in control. It will not be a party. It, it will be only Jesus Himself. The Bible says that the skies will split and Jesus will return. It will not be any of us. It will not be those that have gone before us. It will not be world leaders. It will be Jesus. So that's who you ought to hit your wagon to. That's what you ought to be spending your time thinking about and meditating on and, and studying is the absolute truth of the Word of God. Because God's plans aren't going to be stopped. In Job 42, 42, we'll get to. He says, I know, Job says to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God cannot be stopped. There's a verse that everybody loves in prosperity. Everybody loves it. Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody likes to quote that verse. Now remember, they're in captivity when Jeremiah said this. This is what he said. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God's speaking here. Plans for welfare and not for evil. Have you ever noticed that? Not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. That's God speaking. Why is that? Because God's plans cannot be stopped. Number two. God allows evil to take place. So if we look at the situations around the world and in our lives and all the things that happen and there's evil, which again is the absence of good, don't look at it and say, Man, what is going on? Why is there evil? No, look at it and say, God can fix that. Because God allows this to take place. Could He stop it? Sure He could. But remember what we went to earlier. Then we would be robots. It wouldn't be out of love. It would be out of slavery. And so when we encounter evil in the world today, and you will, you walk out the door, turn on the radio, go to the convenience store, go to Walmart, whatever, you're going to run into it. You're going to run into bad situations. I mean... Turn on the news. It's everywhere. But guess what? God, it's not that God is not in control. God's allowing these things to take place because He's going to use those things, remember, for His glory. In Job chapter 1, let's rewind all the way to the beginning. In Job chapter 1, verse 13, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, which is Job, is in your hand. So Satan asked for permission. God gave it. That, that's a message in and of itself is that He does nothing without permission from God. So God said, 
All that he has, all that Job has, is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So in other words, don't kill him. So God allowed it. He said, just don't kill him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so God's plan is and was to use Job, and He's using Job today, thousands of years later, to communicate truths to us. But in the moment, He said, look, there's a limit. You can only go so far because I have a plan. And number three, God uses these evils to accomplish His purposes. God uses these evils to accomplish His purposes. So, the perfect example of evil being perpetrated and God using evil to accomplish His purposes is, of course, none other than the example of Jesus' crucifixion. Right? The murder of Jesus Christ. I mean, that was the epitome of an evil act. Injustice, lies, deceit. But through it, God redeemed the people that He sent Jesus to redeem. Through it, God disarmed the demonic authorities and powers The Bible says that He obtained the keys to death through the accomplished resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen, right? And so the ultimate act of evil, yet God took it and He made it to the ultimate act of good. And so nothing is wasted in your life. Is there evil around us? Yes. Do we perpetrate evil sometimes? Yes. Because we're sinners. But make no mistake about it, God is in control. And that He has limits to anything and everything that will take place. And so I just want to leave you with this. To be reminded that in the chaos chaos of life, when it seems as though evil is winning, God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. So, if you struggle with that, If you doubt that, if you need encouragement with that, read Romans chapter 8. Read Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.37, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves me. Right? Read Romans chapter 8 and you'll realize that there is absolutely nothing that can come against God. 8.28 talks about all things working together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. So everything basically we talked about tonight is summarized in a couple of verses in Romans chapter 8. So when you see all the things that happen in the world today, remember evil is the absence of good. And so it's our responsibility as, as believers in Jesus Christ that we would promote good that we would bring good to situations, that we would be an example, that we would be light, as the Scripture teaches, in dark places, so that darkness would be driven out, so that light would be magnified, and His name is Jesus. Amen?